0: Welcome to Brainstuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Brainstuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. In late November of 2020, then President Donald J. Trump announced on Twitter, quote, It is my great honor to announce that General Michael T. Flynn has been granted a full pardon. Flynn, Trump's former national security advisor, had been the only member of the Trump administration to be charged with a crime as part of the investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential campaign and the question of whether there had been links to or coordination with the Trump campaign. Flynn pled guilty in 2017 to lying to the FBI about his contacts with the Russian ambassador and cooperated with prosecutors, but then changed his mind and tried to withdraw his plea. Trump's pardon of Flynn drew fire from critics in Congress who saw it as an effort by Trump to erase the investigation into his campaign's connections with Russia, which Trump angrily had denounced as a hoax. The outcry increased after the White House released the specifics of the pardon, which absolved Flynn of not just the original charges, but also of any and all possible offenses within the investigatory authority or jurisdiction of the special counsel. One legal expert, Margaret Love, a former pardon attorney for Presidents George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton, told Politico that Trump's pardon of Flynn was the most sweeping in history, even more so than President Gerald Ford's 1974 pardon of his predecessor, Richard Nixon, for any crimes he might have committed during Watergate. But the critics' concerns didn't make any difference. Trump, like every president before him, had the unique ability to override the federal justice system, release anyone he chose from paying a fine or sentence, and return a person to the state of innocence they had before they ever committed a crime. The president isn't required to explain or justify this action to you, me, Congress, or anyone else for that matter. The power to pardon is left solely to the discretion of the president and cannot be reviewed or overturned by any of the other branches of government. So, where does this power come from? Why did it make it into the U.S. Constitution? What does it do, and how exactly does it work? The presidential pardon is based on the royal prerogative of English kings, which gave the king the ability to overturn any sentence. Originally, the king's prerogative existed without any limitations attached to it. But during the reign of King Charles II of 1660 to 1685, the English Parliament managed to institute the single rule that impeachment was excluded from the pardon power. This rule lives on today. When the Founding Fathers were developing the laws for the United States in the late 18th century, the power to pardon almost didn't make it into the Constitution. In fact, it was barely considered. Two plans for framing the Constitution, the Virginia Plan and the New Jersey Plan, did not include the power to pardon. One of the Virginia Plan's backers, George Mason, believed it was a mistake to grant such power to a single person. Having just revolted against King George III, whom many Americans considered a tyrannical king, many of Mason's fellow framers agreed with him. But Alexander Hamilton, who believed in a large, powerful, centralized federal government made up of the elite thinkers of the nation, was able to bring the other framers of the U.S. Constitution around to his way of thinking. In number 74 of his Federalist Papers, Hamilton extolled the value of a pardoning power. He wrote, In seasons of insurrection or rebellion, there are often critical moments when a well-timed offer of pardon to the insurgents or rebels may restore the tranquility of the commonwealth, and which, if suffered to pass unimproved, it may never be possible afterwards to recall. Hamilton, and eventually the other framers, saw the value of investing in the president the ability to, at a moment's notice and without the consent of any other branch of government, grant reprieves to groups during periods of national crisis. It was reasoned that some crises could be allayed or overcome if the belligerents could be given a deal forgiving them for their trespasses. Almost no sooner than the ink on the Constitution was dry, this ability was needed, When farmers in Pennsylvania revolted in 1794 against federal taxes levied on their corn crops, the Whiskey Rebellion was born. President George Washington used the power to pardon for the first time in United States history to forgive the revolting farmers for their insurrection against the young nation. The action worked and the rebellion was quieted. The pardon has since been used in this original intent several times. Andrew Johnson used the pardon to redeem Confederate soldiers after the Civil War. And to help end the Vietnam era, President Jimmy Carter offered a blanket pardon to any American who had dodged the draft during the Vietnam War. There have been cases where Congress has considered introducing bills that limit the President's pardon power or allow oversight of pardons. Every last one of these bills has failed. Why? Because the president's power to pardon is guaranteed by the Constitution, it's in the actual original document, not just the Bill of Rights. And as such, the judicial branch has viewed it as being protected. So what does this power involve? A person who is convicted of a federal felony may have to go to prison or pay a fine, but that's not all. They lose certain civil liberties, the right to vote, serve on a jury, own a firearm, but Article 2, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution gives the president broad power to provide relief, called clemency, from all of those punishments. There are five types of clemency, from temporary postponement to full pardon. People convicted of federal crimes can request clemency through the Department of Justice, or the sitting president can go outside of that system. In the 1974 case Schick versus Reed, the Supreme Court decreed that the pardoning power is an enumerated power of the Constitution and that its limitations, if any, must be found in the Constitution itself. While a president's power to pardon is broad, it's not completely unlimited. For one thing, presidents can only pardon people for federal crimes, not state or local offenses. Additionally, a pardon can't be used to overturn a judgment in a civil lawsuit. Most importantly, the impeachment process, which can be used to remove presidents, members of Congress, and federal judges from office, is excluded from the scope of the president's pardon power. And that's why, even though former President Trump said that he had the absolute right to pardon himself, legal scholars largely disagreed, though the question wound up being moot as he left office without attempting it. However, he did grant clemency to 143 people on his last day in office, including his former chief strategist, Steve Bannon, who had been charged with using hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations to Trump's We Build the Wall campaign for personal expenses. Bannon will now not face a trial. This brings the total number of times Trump used his power of executive pardon to over 235, though that's actually on the relatively low end of the scale And it's not uncommon to see a rash of clemency during a president's final days in office. A Franklin D. Roosevelt granted the most pardons of any president, 3,687, during his three and a half terms in office, many of them for offenses that occurred during World War I. Today's episode was written by Patrick J. Kiger and produced by Tyler Klang. For more on this and lots of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brain Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.